So by now, I hope you've heard the good news. The latest edition of Mindful Landlord, so Mindful Landlord 2nd Edition, is out. And, you know, I wanted to just let you know why I wrote this book a little bit. And part of it is that I feel like there are some ideas in terms of how you optimize mental performance that really help people or they anyway they've helped me on my real estate journey and part of what i wanted to do with the book is to really share some of the methodology behind optimizing your mind to be successful in real estate and then of course a more down-to-earth approach of how to run rental property for profit and peace of mind not to fall into the trap of more doors more dollars more deals so if you want to check out the book, this is really the best thing and the closest way you can have to having Terry in your corner when you make your real estate decisions. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Nick Slobodniak, senior broker at PMML, and uh, I think three-time guest on the show. Nick, we keep having you back because you're such a great person to hear from. How are you doing today? Thank you, Terry. I'm doing very well. And how are you doing today? I'm great. Um, so Nick, maybe just for the people who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, can you just give us like, you know, the two minute elevator pitch of how you got to do what you do and what's your secret sauce? Oh, okay. Well, how I got here because I was really interested in real estate. I've been doing real estate for the past uh, 16 years, I believe. I lost track of the years, but I'm still here. And uh, I started with residential. Residential was kind of a bit uh, boring after a few years because it's very repetitive. So I decided to work on, you know, bigger transactions. And one of the biggest transactions you can have definitely is commercial real estate. And multifamily was uh, very much a calling for me because I like the numbers. I like the people around it. And uh, that's how I got to PMML, one of the biggest agencies in commercial real estate so far in Quebec. And uh, Occupy I was one of the first to be hired for PMML and it's been five years actually I got my five year short uh, recently at the family reunion which I'm very proud of because five years doing commercial real estate intensively it's uh, it's it's a challenge it's like it's very athletic very like I compare it usually to uh, people doing sports at a higher level because the intensity is, is is very very high but you know it's interesting because you get to meet people you see trends you are you know exactly what the market is going on and you can make investments yourself, you know, considering the new trends. So it's very knowledgeable and very interesting. Mm -hmm. And so tell me, uh, before we get into the meat of the interview, tell me like, how's life at PML? Um, they're kind of a reference in, you know, multifamily in Quebec. They're the brokerage. So, and they seem to, you guys seem to have a really good internal culture and uh, like a real kind of a growth mentality. What's it like being, uh, you know, one of the, the oldest brokers at PMML? Well, it's like a, it's it's like a family. Honestly, we're very close to the CEO. We're very close to uh, the two co-owners. You know, we we go eat lunches together. We we have coffees on Saturdays. You know, it's like a big family. People try to help each other because we're not about competing against each other. You know, there's plenty of room for everybody to grow. Our system is built in a way very ethically to respect everybody's boundaries, and we try to elevate each other. The, the culture is amazing. Honestly, it's it's, it's very good. And what do you think that's due to? Like, is there some specific thing that makes, you know, the, the watching it from the outside, I've always wondered, like, what is it that makes your, you know, uh, internal corporate culture so good? Are you able to, to say what it is? Yeah, it's the proximity of the, the leaders, 
to their, you know, I wouldn't say, I would say associates because we're all kind of associates here. Uh, so it's the proximity. It's the fact that the respect we have for each other, that's what it is. That's what it is. Trying to help each other. Yeah, great. So one of, one of the things I wanted to get into with you today is, you know, you mentioned that you uh, get a chance to see trends and the market's in a funny place these days. Um, I think a lot of in investors have spent the summer sitting on their hands waiting to see which way the needle's going to move. Um, yeah. And now yeah. I think everybody's, you know, back to school and we're now thinking, OK, we want to make some moves, but there are some challenges. So maybe you can just tell us, like, what would be your uh, pulse on the market today? What are you seeing? It's, it's a very interesting question, you know, um, Terry. And to be honest with you, the market uh, has slightly a bit of uncertainty. And uh, as a broker, I can see definitely a slight slowdown in the past few months. People trying to re renegotiate offers they had on the table due to higher interest rates. And it's justifiable because when you expected to pay 300000 for example, for an acquisition, now it costs you four fifty five. Uh, it's probably not the money that is available or, you know, you wouldn't want to buy at the same, you know, at different conditions than what you have expected. So the market has shifted slightly from, I would say, the seller market to a buyer's market to be, you know, to give you a good indication of what's going on. And it was kind of unexpected. And definitely we see that the Central Bank of Canada is about to have two other announcements this year. So we, we don't know exactly on which feet to dance because you know, they might increase slightly and they might decrease even same as they did, pretty hefty. So, you know, given that, you have to have a clear vision and a strategy if you're willing to buy something as we speak. Mm -hmm. And so before, because I want to hear about that, but first I want to ask you, so how bad is it? I mean, you know, I think we hear, like, I read a lot of the English press, so, I, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom coming out of Toronto. And uh, my friends in Montreal love to tell me, but Terry, like, you think you live in Toronto, but you don't. <laughs> so how, you know, how bad are things in the Quebec and Montreal markets? Like, if you, could you put a number on, has there been a decrease? Is it just that prices are stable? Like, what, what would be your gut feeling on that? Well, you know, to say things are bad, it's probably not appropriate. I would say things are very contextual, okay? A brick and wood, it's the same value as it was maybe a year ago or a few years ago. You know, yes, definitely material goes up slightly, but we do understand that. I mean, the price of the property, it's, you know, it says the market price of the property, it's its ability to get financing, but it's not really true. At a certain extent, you know, if you're willing to sell a property today, then definitely you will have to price it according to what the market is willing to pay. And the market is willing to pay depending on how much financing you're willing to get. But if you hold on to your asset another three years, you know, you're not going to, you're probably going to get more money for it because, you know, markets are cyclical. So we saw that with COVID, prices went 30%, 40% up. And I'm speaking generally for multifamily. And now they're probably going slightly, slightly down, where at least the, the people willing to pay, they're not willing to pay like in 2021 but is that does that mean that your price of your asset has decreased probably you know you see what i'm going to you know it's it's very contextual so if you were to sell today yes people wouldn't buy it as they they were able to buy a year ago with the interest rate was about 2% now we're talking about much more doubled and probably even more 
So yes, it, the time is probably not the perfect timing to sell, but if you have to sell, well, you have to respond according to what the market is willing to, to offer. So, so yes, you know, everything is relative. <laughs> I don't know how so I answered your question where I was like a politician dancing around. <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to let you dance for the rest of the interview. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good. So, so let's uh, put this into kind of more concrete terms. So I'm a buyer today and I'm facing certain challenges. So the first thing is that my access to capital is probably decreased because maybe I was hoping to liquidate something. Maybe I was hoping to raise capital and now everybody's got kind of got their hands in their pockets. In addition, financing is challenging because since the rates have gone up, I'm going to be able to have access to less financing and I'm going to be making a deal that's going to close some months from now. And I know that there's a good probability that rates will even go up more. So how should I approach this situation? Well, a good point. If you're willing, if you're willing to buy right now when the closing is in about a month or two, well, you could go with the current interest rates in your analysis. Uh, but if you're willing to be closing in about six months, then I strongly recommend you anticipate higher interest rate of closing. And it also depends on what project you have in mind. If you're buying an optimized building, like a new construction or a renovated property, then you know you should look at the ROI of your investment because this is where you're going to be making money. Uh, if you're looking for a flip or an optimization, like you want to increase rent, increase expenses, then you have to look at the exit and the exit is after about one year once you bought the property. So, but nobody knows what's going to happen in one year. So it's kind of tricky because, you know, within certain times, it's hard to predict what's going to happen in six months to a year. But if there's a lot of opportunity in that deal, like you see a lot of upside, then, you know, we probably should take the risk and, and buy it. And even if in one year the rates are higher, then you could maybe refinance it at better conditions two years from now or three years from now, but you still have bought an excellent property. So it's very relative uh, theory. It's really like we're getting very analytical. So depends if you're able to buy a deal and what mm -hmm. is a good deal at the current market? That's probably the question. Do you know <laughs> what is a good deal right now? Well, a good deal is, um, it depends on, uh, on your qualities, on your, you know, pro professional expertise. Like if you are highly, capable of renovating a property, then probably like a rundown property that you're buying from someone who hasn't taken care of it, it's probably a good deal depending on the cost per door you're buying it. Even though the rents are pretty lo low, which we see quite often, I mean, the good deal is measured in its, its future value. So the future value has to be something, let's say the future value ha has to make sense. And in order to make sense, you have to kind of see how much you're paying well, let's start reverse engineering. So let's say you're buying a building, uh, the seller is asking for $800,000 for a six unit. And you know that this property probably is gonna be worth 1.4 in two years after you have done the work that needs to be done. So 1.4 minus the costs of renovation that you have to inquire and the holding cost and every single expense you need to bring it to there. Let's say it's at it's a $250,000. So one, four minus 250, we're at 1.150, right? So, and what's the reasonable amount of profit you're willing to take from, from, from this transaction? Because nobody wants to work for free, right? Let's say you're fine with $200,000 profit. 
uh, on this deal because you're going to spend time, energy. You're probably going to borrow some capital from someone you know if you don't have. So you have to take this into account and subtract that also from the equation. So 1.4 minus 250 minus $200,000, we're talking about 950. So 950 is probably a good price to pay for this property. So if you're buying it under 950, you're probably making a good deal. Mm-hmm. You see, because your expected profits are much higher uh, given that your maximum amount, the price is 950. Mm-hmm. No, is I think you know that's a, a kind of a, a good way of looking at it because like ultimately when we're analyzing deals, there is a lot of uncertainty. But if you have a certain project in mind, you can, I mean, maybe the the shorter term, what I find is the shorter term is hard to predict right now, but the two to three year mark, I think we start to see some of this coming out of our equations. And we know that in terms of market fundamentals, like there are a lot of people coming into Quebec, coming into Montreal. We expect rents to keep increasing and tenant demand for units to go up. So even if on the financing side, there's a little bit of hiccups, it's not like we're sailing into a storm where we're talking about, you know, another referendum or something that could really affect, you know, the the population growth or some other thing like that. So I think uh, it's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Correct. Uh, Politic-wise, given that there is immigration, uh, it's probably upsetting the the only variable right now that look positive is actually immigration. It's the fact that probably people are going to come and, and, and rent for a higher price because, you know, if you look at Europe right now, there's a crisis in Europe. We all heard about the wars going on and there's, there's even more going on in Asia. And uh, what this brings, it's to say that people that are wealthy, and are in the situation where they're unstable in their country, they tend to flee their country. Mm-hmm. They wanna, they, they wanna run away. If you have money, if you have kids, and you have the opportunity to kind of leave your country, it's sad, but it's true. It's what happened in World War II. You know, a lot of intellectuals flew from Europe to America, and uh, I mean that's something that might happen. And since Canada is opening their boundaries and they're expecting these immigrations with money. Uh, it's a good thing for us. And um, mm-hmm. I believe in Canada. I believe in Canadian economy. Yes, we're living through hard times, but always in times of war, there was interest rate increase. If you look at World War II uh, in 1940, high interest rate, a broken chain of, of uh, delivery, like supply chain. Yeah. supply chain were broken. There was high inflation. There was high interest rate. But after that, everything blew up, like went through the roof when this was over. So probably looking at something very similar. So I'm positive mm-hmm. on that note. The immigration will help Canadian economy and help uh, landlords to rent at a stable price or even higher price. Mm-hmm. No, I think uh, I think you're actually, that's very true. And, and, and uh, maybe not something that we mention a lot is that we talk about, you know, this very Canadian specific context, which is that, okay, we here locally have inflation. We here locally had our real estate markets go up a lot. There's also like the, you know, indebtment of Canadian households, which is very high. But it's also true that there is this, you know, international context of I mean, major conflicts, right, that are affecting the prices of things and that at some point that's going to iron itself out and it's going to, you know, calm down some of the economic instability that we that we face. Yes. But let's talk about 
um, access to capital for a minute, because I think, you know, as you know, if I can just give a personal example, like I'm in the process of trying to liquidate something, it's not moving. That's the down payment money. I need to do the projects that I want to do for this fall. And I think that a lot of investors are kind of in the same position where maybe we were used to being able to turn over our projects at a certain rate and we kind of need need the capital to then apply it to something else. Do you have you seen any interesting solutions to that of what people are doing when maybe they're not able to pull the equity out of their existing buildings to do more? It's a good question, Gary. And I think getting access to capital, it's getting slightly difficult than it was a few years ago, because when people were sitting on, on, on tons of money because of refinancing, mostly, you know, they refinance a few buildings here and there, the parents, uh, friends or, you know, people that had to sit on money, they either bought buildings or they lended their money to someone like yourself and uh, made money through your efforts, which was a great uh, recipe for everybody. However, now if you if you want, some people are more, it's difficult for them to, to lend money at the same conditions as before because they see what's going on. But, you know, you have to just, you have to be more persuasive right now. You have to touch more, more, more people and be more prepared. We've seen People trying to be more more convincing because of the project they have on hands. You have to take more into account the risks you have in that project. You really have to find good deals. So it really depends on your ability to to find opportunities. That makes the whole difference. Because people, yes, they they sit on money. They they might be not so excited to lend them, but they still would do it because everybody needs to make profits, like to to have their money rolling. Because if not, inflation is just going to eat everything up. So there, there are people probably more difficult to uh, convince them, but I still believe if you're persistent and prepared, you can do it. Yeah, no, I think uh, Nick, that's uh, like, I, I really like what you said before, which is you got to touch more people. And I think, you know, in the, in the past two, three years, it was he who had the good deals was king, right? We all had money and there were no deals. Now we look, as we look into the future, we think that in the next three, four months, there are going to be good deals. And then it's going to be who has the cash and who has the financing is going to be the one who ends up picking up the pieces in that context. And that maybe now, you know, as investors, we need to shift from, you know, looking for, looking for deals to looking for capital and touching more people that's going to be the side at which we're going to have to work. And, you know, I know uh, I want to encourage all of our listeners to go and check uh, Nick out on social media because he's got some really good videos on this topic. So maybe I can ask you like what, uh, you know, you said be more persuasive. Do you have any like very specific tips for somebody in terms of those conversations that you have with people who might be willing to finance your projects or lend you capital? Yeah. One of the things uh, that persuasion is about is to show kind of your track record. If you have a track record, so just try to make a nice presentation out of it, explain how you did to flip the project around, what you, what you did and how you did it. And But if you don't have a track record where I guess one of the best thing is to, to get some education from a different platform that we all know. There's a few major ones. I won't name them just to not forget anybody. But uh, education is very powerful and it creates partnership during the courses that People are sometimes there because they have money and they don't know what to do it to do with it. So you can partner up with these people. I've seen many partnerships formed during the courses of, you know, when people are trying to learn stuff. So it's very powerful because you sit in the same class, you listen to the same information, and that helps find partnership, but also educating yourself in order to start looking at different opportunities and prepare 
presentations in order to see where you can when you can find a deal and what's a deal. I think one of the best advice I can give to anybody to find a deal, and I, I do it myself since when I started, is you have to find a common denominator for the market. What I mean by that is that if just a simple example, let's say you're looking to buy a condo and you want to rent it out, right? And if you want to look, how do I find a good deal? Like if you look on the market, everything is, you know, ambiguous and you need to really go to the bottom of it. So I made an Excel sheet to myself. I'm going to put the price of the condo. I'm going to put the amount of rents I expect this to be. And I'm going to find a ratio that will show me if that's a profitable investment or not. And once you analyze everything through the same loop, you're going to see right away the opportunities are going to stand out from the average. Let's say the return on the investment of a condo rental is an average 5% cash on cash. Well, it's not that as we speak, but let's imagine it's, it's, it's that. So let's say it's 5% and you find something comes up on the market and you're at 7%. So this is how you just spotted the deal real quickly because you brought everything to the same denominator. And that's important. When you analyze real estate, you have to bring everything to the same denominator. So then opportunities are going to stand out because it's going to be easy and less ambiguous. But you have to prepare yourself with the right information, the right tools and do it constantly and continuously. And then opportunity is going to stand, you know, it's just going to jump on you. It's going to be that easy. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I think in that case, also, you're able to see trends happening because even if you're just, you know, combing centrist, the data is all there. And, you know, you can, you know, in the case of a condo, maybe there's not rent data, but like you can easily obtain that from, you know, Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji or even from centrist. Like there are are lots of listings and then you just compare the two things one next to the other and uh, you're able to to generate that analysis. So, um, no, I think that's a good point. One more question. So if we go to the question of financing. So, for example, you know, some of these multi-residential projects, the closings with the banks can be quite long. And so if I'm signing a deal today and I know that realistically it's going to close like around Christmas, right? Is there some way that I can build into my transaction a safety cushion with respect to the interest rate? What should I be as a buyer signing in on certain situations? How can I build some safety in there for myself? Uh, very good question, Gary. And, um, you know, you brought this up and I would tend to say real quick that not a lot of people and by people, I mean, sellers would be receptive to a moving price in terms of time. So when you say that I'm going to have to build that in into my premise to purchase, so I understand that you want to be able to reduce the price if the interest rate goes up. Is that so? For example, or to build some kind of safety that, okay, you know, I build in a, there's the clause in there that says I, I will obtain financing at this rate. But we know that depending on what rate, if you put 7%, okay, maybe by January that's realistic to close under 7%. But if you've put, you know, 5.5 in your promise to purchase and by January it's 6.5, then what happens? Yeah, well, you have to factor that in as, as you make the offer to purchase. You have to be able to calculate your risks because once you get into the offer, there is no clause that says the price is negotiable and offer is kind of binding. So if you make it, if you make the interest rate a variable in terms of acquisition of the price, that won't be a binding offer. So if the interest rate goes up a lot more than what you expected, you could always cancel the promise to purchase or try to renegotiate with the seller. But 
it will be a huge surprise for him. Mm-hmm. And chances are it's not going to work out unless it's a small price and, you know, but you're going to look so bad if you do it. I mean, it's it's very tricky. I think you need to anticipate the interest rate as you make an offer and uh, put it, let's say, 6.5%. If it goes above that, I'm just going to walk out. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is where you have to be transparent with the seller. Listen, we're living in certain times. This is the the interest rate I'm willing to put. If it's higher than that, we'll, uh, you know, accept my apologies right away. It's not something I'll be able to afford and see what he says. Maybe he's going to say, okay, we'll talk when it happens. Then you probably have a door, an open door for discussion. But if he says, listen, okay, let's take a chance. You take a chance. I take a chance. Let's try to make it happen. So transparency, uh, it's always that, you know, but in a right diplomatical way, I mean, it's the way you approach people that makes the whole difference. If you're like a a surprise, like a snake in the grass and you jump in at the seller when like he didn't expect it, then chances are it's not going to work out. But if you tell him your troubles, uh, your difficulties, and you still say, I'm interested to buy this building, however, I understand my position that's, that's in certain times. So we both take a gamble, but I'm interested. I'm willing to push it as fast as possible. Then chances are it's going to be receptive and he's going to like you, which is a good thing. <laughs> and so if we uh, like turn the, the, the issue the other way and say, I'm a seller and uh, you know I'm trying to evaluate my options, right? Like I probably know that if I'm in a position where I need to sell something, I'm going to have to be more flexible on my price. What, I mean, what, what's your advice to someone who needs to sell an asset today? Someone used to sell, well, yeah, they have to understand that uh, the prices are slightly difficult, that different than they were before. And uh, most of the uh, sellers I meet, they understand. They know what's going on. And what helps a lot is the media. When we're in time of COVID, the media were not covering the fact that, you know, it might be a boom and might be a bubble. You know, they were not saying much. They were saying real estate is appreciating. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a good market, blah, blah, blah. But now the media and the government are working together in a sense that the government raises the interest rate and the media raises attention on the economical situation. And that's an important factor. That's about 25-30% of the real economy. It's the pe- people's expectations. So if you keep on publishing information that the market is going to drop, people are, are going to be afraid and going to sit tight. So, And the sellers get the same information as the buyers and they know. They know that uh, if I were to sell right now, my price mo- motivated sellers. We're not talking about people who are fishing. We're talking about really people that needs to sell because they're going to refinance in a year or maybe six months and their interest rate is not going to be what it was before. It's, they're going to they're gonna be hit with a heavy interest rate. And a lot of people that recently bought, let's say three years ago, they got a good price before the COVID and they get like something like 3% interest rate or 32 now they will have to refinance. They're going to walk to the bank and let's say they were tight at refinancing. They got 85% of the economical value. When they're going to walk into a bank to refinance, that's going to be a surprise because the economical value has decreased and the amount of money the bank is going to be willing to give are going to be slightly less. And there are some people who are going to be in a situation where they will have to pay the bank in order to keep that mortgage, keep wow. the same amount of money. Wow. Right? I hope we're not going to get there, but everything is is looking that way. But it's not going to be a lot of people. There's going to be a few who overestimated their capacity to carry on on a, on a building ownership. So there are going to be motivated people. There are also the baby movers that have to sell because they 
don't want to give it to their kids or they don't have kids. So the market is gonna is gonna be open to opportunities. Terry, I I believe that, and uh, people who are sitting on cash are gonna make some nice acquisition. I I, I truly believe that. Yeah, I believe that too. <laughs> um, so Nick, that was kind of the end of the questions that I had for you today. Is there something that we are not talking about that we should be talking about? You know, we talked about uh, raising capital. You know, we talked about we talked about negotiation slightly. You know, to remain transparent, polite, and uh, and receptive. Uh, I mean, we covered pretty much everything you want us to be covered. So <laughs> I don't know what else I could add. No, I mean, maybe more generally, not specifically to our interview, but I mean, our industry, oh. like you have a certain, you know, you're a senior broker at, at PMML. And so you have a certain standing in the industry is, I guess I want to ask a more general question, not a you and me question. Like, is there something that our industry should be talking about today that's not on our radar? Very good question. I, you know, we cover, we cover the politics, the politicians throwing a lot of landlords under the bus by saying that, you know, they're, they're pushing people out. But at the same time, you know, there's certain apartments that really require renovating, and uh, you know, some buildings are some buildings are to the point where it has to be it has to be changed. So I mean, we, we, we're living in a unparalleled times slightly. You know, we see the inflation. People want people want to protect their investment. They want to protect their their money. They have to buy buildings, but at the same time, the buildings become more expensive. We're looking at people, you know, possibly increasing rents with immigration, but we can't really move people around. So, you know, it's kind of it's harder now to be a landlord. But if you if you know what you're doing and you do a good due diligence with the property and you find a good deal, there is still room to make a lot of money. And PMML has a lot of listings where what could offer such opportunities. You just need to to dig deeper and see what what kind of things needs to be done. We also have a APH Select financing by CMHC, which is a great tool, I believe. People overestimate that tool. Some people don't know what, how it works, and they're just afraid of it. But it's a very good tool because there is good, good mechanism, and it's a great product. So if you want to know more, you can hit me up. I'll, I'll explain. Yeah, the times are slightly different, but the, trend, the new trend is find deals. See how you can optimize it. Don't rush. And uh, try to buy something that has a positive cash flow and you'll be safe because real estate is probably not going down over the next few years. And uh, I mean, probably slightly adjusting this year, but still going to be uh, up pretty soon, I believe. On an upward trend. Okay. Yes. Nick, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to share your valuable insights with our audience. I want to encourage everyone, go check Nick out on social media. What's your favorite platform? Uh, I use uh, usually Facebook and Instagram pretty much where I am. Yeah. So I like love looking at Nick's posts every week, informative and funny at the same time. So go uh, check him out on social media or you can hit him up at his uh, PMML email address, which we'll drop in the show notes. Thank you for taking this time with me today, Nick. Thank you, Terry. Always a pleasure. You're awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. 
You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.